Surprise! We're taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us for an incredible higher education marketing and enrollment management conference February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education is amazing. Thousands of copies have been sold across the United States and the world. You can pick up your copy today on Amazon. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast where we make education your business. And there hasn't been a more, oh, by the way, I'm Dr. Joe Salustio. If you didn't know, I've done about 700 of these episodes, probably recognize my, my, my voice by now, but we make education your business. That's kind of the tagline of the EdUp experience. And I don't think there's a more relevant time in higher education to continue on with this mission of bringing you the most important and impactful voices in and around higher education today, because we're all operating a business. We're all trying to recruit students and we want them to come to our universities and more than that, we want to recruit students against the narrative, or at least I do. And I, I, I think I speak for my guest co-host and guest when I say that we want to recruit students against the narrative that a college degree or secondary education doesn't have as much value as it used to have. I think that's a conversation we're going to definitely get into today. And I'm glad to know that we have some of the brightest minds out there doing this work. And I'm bringing one of those minds back to the microphone you may recognize, recognize his name. He is one of the first 125 presidents we interviewed on this podcast. He was at one place. Now he's somewhere else. Still a president. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. He's Dr. Jason Morrison. He is president of Trinity Valley Community College. Jason, what is up? <laughs> Thanks for that introduction. I, I need to get that from you so I can take that everywhere I go. Uh, I'll uh, just come with you everywhere you go and I'll play it for you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for allowing me to be back on. I enjoyed my first time on the show and the book and um, still fighting the good fight. I know you are. I Jason, I, I will tell range. you something I remember about you. So I've done so many of these episodes, but there are just certain things that get burned into my memory. And I remember the story of you at your last institution. During COVID, you moved your family into the dorms to show that it was okay for students to come back and be on campus. I just remember that about you um, and what student service is all about. Um, just one of the best stories I've ever heard from a president. So congratulations on doing that. And how did it all work out? Uh, you know, that was right when COVID hit. We had a lot of students that could not go home. And we have a had, we were a career technical focus. So you cannot learn to weld online. You cannot learn to be a nurse, you know, online and draw blood and put IVs and blah, blah, blah. So knowing that you know we had a lot of first generation uh, lower social economic uh, population on campus steph and i and little daughter brennan and the dog cannot forget the dog all moved in this little sweet style dorm and we're there for the students i mean they come knock on the door at 11 o'clock at night we open up the gym they were bored think about it everything around them shut down and they were bored to, to death and so we, I'd go open the gym 11 o'clock at night, sat in there with a few hours so they could just, you know, shoot some hoops and stuff like that. But it's just mainly an added layer of comfort um, that, you know, we're here with you. We're just not going to run home and hide and not be there to support you that you're going to be here and you have to be here. Uh, I'm going to be willing to be here and my family's going to be willing to be here with you. 
amazing. I love that about you, Jason. And now you have an opportunity because I grilled you pretty good if I remember your episode. And you were telling me before we started recording today that you just cannot wait to unload on our guest today with all the oh. questions her on the hot seat. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, she's Dr. Amy Diaz, and she is president, new president of Gateway Community College. Dr. Amy Diaz, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're very excited to have you. So tell us first, how has your transition been into Gateway Community College as a newly appointed president? Yeah, it's been an interesting transition for me because I served as the interim president for almost two and a half years here at this college. And so, um, you know, you, you, you're on a forever interview when you serve in an interim capacity. And, and so every single decision you make and every event that you show up to or don't show up to, uh, someone notices. Uh, so it's it's been an interesting transition to be the sort of the incumbent interim president who ends up being uh, appointed as the permanent president. In some ways, um, people might think it's a, a fairly easy transition because I know the people and I know the college and I know Phoenix, um, but I, I chose to symbolically uh, have a restart. So I did a 120-day listening session uh, and did both online surveys and listening sessions for faculty and staff and students. And, and it's been really good because I learned a lot. I learned a lot more than I thought maybe I even had to learn. Um, so I'm a few months in now, and uh, it's the first day of classes here. So it's a good day. Fantastic. You know, that's a, you bring up a really interesting, first of all, why did it take two, two and a half years for them to, to go, you know what, Amy, just run this. So anyway, that's a conversation mm -hmm. maybe for another day. And, uh, but how does the decision, you know, did you ever, that's a long time. It's either a long time to forget that either, that somebody might be coming on board to make decision that's not, that's not you, right. or it's a long time to just kind of forget that, that you, that person may not come and you are the person in charge. And so, you know, it's not like, um, it's a really funny space. Cause do you make this decision knowing that somebody that this search might result in somebody else? Do I make this short term or long term? Do I have to make this decision? Cause I am interim and I'm looking like, like I am the person right now. So I have to operate that way. How did you operate through really important and key decisions for your student body in that funny space? Um, you know, the word interim is is just a word, right? Yeah. And that that's really how I treated the, the job. Um, I started as the interim president in January of 2021. And um, it really only meant that uh, there wasn't a nationwide competitive search for um, this temporary time that I was going to serve as the president. Um, but serving as the president is just that. You, you, you are fully responsible for the whole job for all of the decisions, even if the word interim is in your title. And so I approached it that way. It, you know, it, this is a college I love. This is a community that I'm here to serve. Um, and so I, I made some tough decisions and thought, you know, in some ways, maybe we're all interim, you know, to some extent. I think that's for uh, any so, of the jobs that anyone holds, isn't it true? Right, right. And so I, I just treated it like, you know, I am the president. I'm responsible. I'm, I'm, the person who um, the students don't necessarily recognize the word interim is in your title. I mean, they think of you as their president um, for those students whom I had any interaction with. Um, but making the decisions around COVID and coming, I don't know if we're really out of COVID, but just this idea of what does a post-COVID environment in higher education look like? And so we were making 
decisions. I, you know, employed shared governance and and did all the things that that any permanent president would do. Um, and it just it was a it was a really good experience for me and one that um, helped me decide that I wanted to apply for the permanent presidency once that was posted. Hmm. You know, as uh, as we see um, presidents from institutions leaving the industry, there's a lot of retirements, a lot of people who are moving on and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. You wonder if the board had an intention of going, well, let's see. Let's see if uh, Amy makes it through all of this heartache, right? I mean, <laughs> just truly, if you think about it that way, if you're a board, it's almost like a, it's a period of time to assess, you know, because you guys deal with, I mean, there's so much being thrown at you on a daily basis. I mean, you just have to remain vigilant and it's very easy. And I had this conversation with a, uh, two presidents last week about how it's really easy uh, for just one thing to set you and go, you know what, I, I, this isn't, I don't want to do this anymore. So we have to remember our passions. We have to stay, re remember why we serve students and all those things. Um, and being on the phone, uh, on the phone, I'm on the phone, I'm dating myself with two community college uh, presidents here is always an honor because um, I think community colleges continue to do the very important work of training our future workforce, which is another question uh, there. And Jason, I'm gonna. This is a good time for me to bring you, and you're just sitting around doing nothing. Are you going to help me now or not? <laughs> well, I was just gonna add that you know, by the nature of the new president's job, you know, the average person president lasts five or so years at one institution before they move to the next institution. I mean, we're basically in today's world, it, we're, we're, it's a job interview every day. Every decision you make, every move you make, everything you do is so scrutinized. And I think we're, you know, entering an era where the board dynamics is, is changing and more involvement of boards, you know, I guess this us we kind of geographically, I mean, we're basically just every day being interviewed to what do we do different? What do we make? How do we make a difference? What do we, you're only as good as what you do that day. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of the nature of the position now. And I think that's why you're not, there is this kind of void of people. A lot of your VPs and VCs are not making that next step into presence jobs and, and, and things. And, and I think it's going to be hugely impactful in the coming years. Um, I mean, when I look at my career, and I'm 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 getting ready to be starting to be on the tail end of it, <laughs> and and I don't when I look out there, I just I'm not seeing that that motor that drive that people are showing to elevate them to the next set. It's almost like you hear people they say if they wait around long enough, they'll be given the position, and right. and I think that's doing a disservice to what we do day in and day out, which is some days is literally a fight, you know, is that true for your team, Amy, that, you know, how do you think about training the next presidential pipeline? Is anybody even interested in your job? Um, you know, I think people are interested, but, but I appreciate what Jason is saying because I think even the, the, executive level positions are, are harder and harder to fill right now. Um, and it's not necessarily because people aren't interested in those positions, but they're they're having a tough time transitioning from those more middle management positions into the executive level positions. And I, I think it is because the decisions are um, 
they're really varied and they're 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 difficult. You know, it's it's they're difficult positions um, that we maybe haven't done the best job thinking about succession planning and and really giving people experiences that are going to equate to the kinds of decisions and the kinds of things they're going to have to do when they're actually in the seat. So I think there's aspiration. I'm not sure that we're matching the experiences and we're creating the pipeline for professionals to really successfully move into those positions. Are they getting a relevant uh, background to be ready? No, no one's ever ready. I mean, if they tell you they're ready, they're lying to you. Mm -hmm. No one's ever ready. But I, I think sometimes, like you're saying, they get they get wrapped up in the idea. But have we really talked to them about how mentally taxing every decision can be? Because now you're talking about everybody's livelihood is impacted on the decision you make. And and I think we're not trans transmitting that message or that understanding or giving up opportunity for people to to make some decisions, handle project management, you know, construction, things that we deal on a daily basis that because of their department they're coming out may not. And so we have to do a better job um, as as presidents and so forth to to take the extra time to mentor and because we I'd rather them understand it before they sit in the seat and then they sit in the seat and they said, well, this is not for me. And not what I thought. And, <laughs> and, and then they're out. We, their career is dramatically changed forever, mm. no matter what type of job they apply. I, I agree. And I think we might have an opportunity to even think about um, the way we interview uh, and the, the kinds of things that we um, might expect people to be able to do from a from a perspective of transferring from one industry into higher education, for example. Um, I, I personally am looking to hire people who have an entrepreneurial spirit and an oh, innovative yeah. mindset and a future forward mindset. And someone may have all the experiences they need on paper to look like they're ready for a position but they may not have the mindset that I think higher education requires from this point forward, because I do see a lot of change uh, on the horizon for us and change at a, at a rate of speed um, that is not necessarily aligned with the traditional uh, scene in academia. Tell them like it is. You know, I was on this podcast, I was being interviewed on a podcast, which, um, it is always interesting to take questions when I'm always the one asking him, but one of the topics that came up is training to workforce, training to workforce. It's always the, one of the more common topics that we hear. And this podcast that I was being interviewed for was a workforce podcast. It was a, it's a HR, their listeners are HR managers. And they asked me, you know, we hear from our listeners that students are just not coming out with the skills that they need for us to hire them. And then you look, Amy, at the, the, well, you don't need to go to college anymore and you can just skill stack. And um, this gentleman was saying, well, we don't get that. We as the employer don't get this whole skill stacking thing. How do we know what is what? What's going on at Gateway Community College? What are students saying? Are you, ta are you tackling those types of issues? We absolutely are. Um, in fact, you know, the even the idea of stackable credentials, that is not a new idea. It's it's been in, in higher education for, for decades. 
but a student doesn't care about that idea necessarily. And, and I think what you're suggesting is that maybe employers don't even really understand it. Yeah. Um, even the idea of lifelong learning, you know, it's, it's a phrase that we've used forever and, and it might be something that people really aren't, aren't so interested in doing, but the reality is that I think all of us are, are going to be required to continually learn and continually upskill um, for, for that next position. So, you know, Gateway is an interesting college because we're, we're the, we're one of 10 community colleges within the Maricopa community college system. We're the second smallest, but we offer the largest number of programs. We offer over 160, 160 different programs. Um, and we have locations across the Valley. We also offer, um, what I describe as sort of the comprehensive, um, version of programs, credit programs, non-credit programs, continuing education, community education, and clock hour programs. And that's really where a lot of the focus on workforce comes from is that every single clock hour program that we offer is meant to uh, train students to go directly into the workforce and find that gainful employment and, and you know the, at least the initial career that they uh, choose. And so we're constantly thinking about if we're going to start a new program, what modality should we start it in? And more and more, we're thinking of starting it in the non-credit short-term training space, because that's what we think at least our millennial students are, are asking for is the shortest amount of training, the most relevant topics, the most relevant curriculum. Um, and then it's on our instructors and our faculty members to weave into that curriculum the, the soft skills that they need and to, to be able to do the real practical things. One example that we have that's that's working relatively well is um, four programs that have a general education course requirement, like an English 101, a writing course, um, but it's in a highly skilled trades area, uh, like auto, auto mechanics, let's say. We're, we're creating the English 101 course in that contextualized space so that the students in the automotive program are writing to the kinds of things they're going to write for on the job. Now that it's that idea in and of itself is not that new either, but we're really trying to be thoughtful and intentional about where we can do that uh, to make the most relevant learning experiences for students. Because I don't think anyone has a ton of extra time or extra money that they want to devote to taking courses that aren't directly ap applicable to what they want to do in their career. Money. I, I think what you're saying is how the transitions changed. I mean, we're looking at test driving programs, you know, kind of continue education, kind of workforce training, see what takes hold. I did that at my last institution with the program that was directly tied to the defense industry. We ran it as workforce training and kept hearing that we need more people. So then we trans transitioned to the kind of the, the academic side, you know, the traditional degree side. But, uh, you know, here in Texas, where we have an enormous population boom and people moving to our area, don't necessarily have time to spend, you know, a semester or nine months for a certificate or two years from degree. So we're actually looking to expand the customized training um, and see what starts rising to the top. So it can be a degree plan. You know, you're using your training as a recruitment tool. You're using short term, 14, 18 hour, 24 hour type training 
as a recruitment tool into degree programs. Mm -hmm. And maybe not just for that student, but their family members and people Mm -hmm. they work with and and things like that. So I think that's always what makes us at the two-year colleges so exceptional in higher education. And I feel like doesn't get enough, uh, people don't brag about us enough because they still see us in higher education based on the big research institutions and how they operate. And they're making their decisions on on those institutions, thinking that we're to these extremes and wasteful and things like that. Guys, we're just trying to make budget, get get people educated, change, break the cycle of poverty, you know, the cycle of first generation students. We're not, you know, dealing in that realm. You actually have to start looking at at us for who we are and don't, do not lump us together with the big time research, you know, mega institutions that you got a beef with. I think that's true, Amy. You think it's higher education and then everybody's mind goes to, oh, it's this Ivy League college over here, these big public research universities. We, we do say that and we do, and the public does, and we don't properly segment out community colleges based on state funding, changing the cycle of poverty, how is, you know, basic needs. Now we're counselors of food pantries and all these things. <laughs> We're doing it all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Although, you know, I think there is a little bit of a, of a question mark in the minds of uh, community members on the value of higher education in general. And so when they really take time, I think, to um, look at the cost of attendance at a community college, for example, compared to a four-year institution, um, the, the value proposition is with the community college, at, at least initially even for students who plan to transfer and earn a bachelor's degree uh, and beyond. Um, so I think we ourselves are probably part of the problem because like Jason said, we're, we're not talking as, as positively and as broadly as we should be about what we do uh, to the community to, to constantly remind them of all the kinds of things that we're doing. Um, but I think the other interesting thing that is maybe confusing the general public is that uh, now you have community colleges offering bachelor's degrees, and, and my college kicked one off today. Uh, and in Maricopa, we have several that just started this week. And and now we have um, high school systems uh, with the community with the career and technical education uh, JTEDs. They're offering associates degrees, and we have four year institutions that are now looking at offering associates degrees. And so we're we're mixing all of those those different. Um, structures, we're, we're mixing them up, um, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily, but it's confusing. So now yeah. who does what is more confusing. Yeah. Uh, Cause we're all, cause actually, a lot of schools are after the same student too, right? If there's less students then your four year private is going to go, well, that student, instead of going to their local community college, let's go and recruit that student. Cause we don't have enough. And the community college is going to say, well, if two year students coming in, why don't we just offer a bachelor's degree? There's no reason to send them off to the four year institute institution. And then you layer on the value conversation and it makes everything very muddy, which I don't, uh, I'm, you know, I don't envy the job of a president these days to be able to properly communicate. And I think we do, we have a failure, Amy, of packaging higher education in a way that a consumer can understand its value. I think we're getting there, but we really just like sat on it for so long and let the public go crazy without right. fighting back. Do you we just kind of rested on our morals yeah. and say we're here? So obviously, I think we do this sometimes. Is 
we've, we don't feel like we have to justify ourselves daily. We're here, mm-hmm. but we, we do. Uh, I think something interesting, you talk about the packaging and, and things like that. I was um, at a kind of industry meeting panel discussion that was taking place. And one of the panelists who's in the computer software industry may have said it best than I've heard in a number of years. He said, your two-year colleges are now becoming the new post-grad schools. You know, not only do we have the first generation students, but we're increasingly seeing, I'm sure as big as Gateway is, more and more students with a four-year degree looking for some type of relevant practical training, be it nursing, computers, um, you know, the the two-year colleges are becoming the new post-grad school. Absolutely. I we, we see that at Gateway. We see it across all of Maricopa, in fact, but specifically at Gateway because our average age is older than a typical community college average age and even our sister colleges in the system. And so we we know that either either that is happening or it really is the um, returning adult student who maybe at this point in their lives finally have the chance to to do what they wanted to do the you know, their whole, their whole adult career. And so we have um, a lot of people who have worked in, worked in an industry, maybe in an entry-level position, especially in healthcare, it comes to mind. um, And now they're ready. You know, maybe they have, their kids are all in school now and they have the opportunity. Maybe they can go part-time with their job and, and go to, go to school part-time as well. But we we have a whole mixture of those kinds of stories uh, for our students at Gateway. And I know that some of them already have bachelor's degrees, potentially in fields where they couldn't find the job that they thought they might be able to find. That is interesting. Attention. Are you ready to elevate your institution's marketing and enrollment strategies? Join the EdUp Experience podcast at the Insights EDU conference, February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from engaging speakers from industry leading companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and higher ed leaders. Learn the latest marketing and enrollment strategies to grow your programs. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Attention. Oh, yeah. Join the movement to mobilize and revolutionize higher education by picking up your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education today. This book has been featured in Forbes, NPR, Harvard Business Review, CEO World Magazine, NBC News, CBS News, and Business Insider, among many others. Don't miss out on what today's highest college leaders have to say about the future of higher education. Pick up your copy on Amazon. You know, I I do want to ask you about 160-160 programs. How do you think about that? Is that too many? Is it not enough? Is it... You know, is it something you're thinking about all the time on resources and, you know, because anybody who's looking from the outside goes, how's that sustainable? You know, is that something that's on your mind? It absolutely is. Um, what what I think we're doing uh, primarily is through the program review process, we're looking at every single program uh, that we offer and making the necessary adjustments to the programs um, that should be more feasible, perhaps, than what they are. Uh, we were talking a little while ago about uh, some of the high tech, high trades programs. Um, and while we have the equipment and the curriculum and the faculty and instructors, we don't necessarily have the rich pipeline of students that we once had. 
Uh, and I think that's part of the the impact of COVID that especially a millennial student now thinks, well, I went to school from home, so I should be able to work from home. And Jason, you mentioned earlier, you know, you can't learn how to weld sitting at home. You can't learn how to be a nurse sitting at home. These are hands-on jobs. Um, and so we have the majority of our programs are hands-on uh, jobs. Only a few of them are completely online or even able to be completely online. And so um, I think we're constantly looking at what, which of those programs are feasible in the workplace, uh, and the majority of them are, uh, but which could be repackaged, maybe tweaked, maybe we could think about them differently, perhaps we have them in the wrong modality, maybe we need to take a clock hour program and put it in a non-credit program and and sort of chunk it in smaller smaller bits, if you will. Um, it changes the way we charge for it. It changes the way it gets delivered. Uh, we can modify when and how we offer it. And so all of those are all of those questions are the questions that we're asking ourselves at Gateway right now, um, with perhaps that 160 number being almost the maximum. You know, as we think about whether a program has continued feasibility and maybe we even decide to to close it down or put it on moratorium for for a few years. Um, and usually that happens because a faculty member or two have retired or someone's resigned or something. And so we use attrition as our main method for doing that. Um, but we see if the marketplace needs it. And if it doesn't need it any longer, we leave it uh, in moratorium. But then we might think of a new program, uh, because right now I can think of a handful of programs that are needed in our Maricopa County region um, that none of the other community colleges are offering and or a few of us could potentially offer it because the need is so large. So there's there's a plus and a minus, right? That 160 goes back and forth a little bit, but I, I can't imagine us getting much larger than, than 160 programs. But I think that fluidity is, is also a necessary element of what we do in community colleges, but it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to think about is a program that you've offered for 20 years that might even be a signature program, is it still relevant and do we still need it? It's tough. Absolutely. It's tied I to people. Stagnation uh, is always gonna be a Achilles heel for higher education. We develop a romanticism with programs and we're doing, you know, being on the job here about four months now, a complete review of all of our programs because we have a hundred plus and we're substantially smaller we became that, here's your menu. We do everything. We serve you everything. We can't do that anymore. You got to be more strategic. Now we have a new funding formula here in Texas that's all credential outcome-based. Workforce uh, workforce programs always obviously give you more, a little bit bang for your buck on the, the credentials. But when you have programs that haven't been touched for 20 years and 30 years, and you're talking about hands-on programs that have had changes in technologies, so as you said earlier, sometimes we can be our our own worst enemies, kind of, by not being proactive. And of course, ultimately, when decisions like that are are made, it's the presidents that take the brunt of that, you know, and and the criticisms that the that you do not care for people and you're Yikes! eliminating jobs and Yikes! no, I mean. I always look at it, 
your instructors that are over the program should be my leaders in those programs. They should be coming to me saying, we need to make these changes. We need to make these alterations. We need to make ourselves be more relevant. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be waiting for the admin side to give them that input. It should be the leaders of those programs that provide you so you don't get to a catastrophic point that this program is no longer needed. And that, that is like the, we can't that, wait to retirement now for people. We can't wait for people to retire and make changes. Isn't that like the part of the secret for, formula and why the public has gotten to the point it has is because curriculum is typically old, right? If you create a program, if you sit on it for 20 years, you're not updating it. The, you've lost the relevancy piece. So if you've got a lot of programs, you've got to, you know, it's not just cutting a program. If you're going to cut a program or sunset a program, even if you can move the students to other programs or you teach it out, if you're going to rebuild the curriculum, then you have to pay instructional designers. You have to have a whole infrastructure to update curriculum. And, you know, I feel, uh, you know, the person, whoever's handling your catalog is like the most amazing person on the planet, Amy, with mm -hmm. 160 programs. You think about how to keep all that straight. So there's right. an ecosystem around each program and updating it and keeping it relevant. Is that also in your assessment of how you think about programs and maybe which ones need more support than you're willing to put in? It, it really is. Um, and, and we do have systems in place for that. Um, so I think it's, it's a matter of ensuring that um, those leaders in those programs, the, the faculty, either the occupational program director or the academic coordinator, whoever's leading a program, realizes the support and uh, the, the access that they have to the systems, um, which is really then on us, right? Like if we have these things, but people don't realize that we have the support in instructional design and right. all the technology resources. Um, because I do think it's it's not only the curriculum, but it's the pedagogy that probably fits together that has to change uh, with the demands of our students and what they want. Um, and so whether it's the curriculum or even the services that we provide to students, when and how they want them, our own employees have to know that they too have to change and that they have to they have to change the way they're thinking about delivering services and programs and uh, recognize where their resources are. Um, it's it's sort of serendipitous timing because our our convocation was last Monday here at Gateway and and all of my remarks were around the future of education, the future of higher education, the future of teaching and learning, uh, the future of work. And so um, at one point, my instructional designing team had come to me in the summer and said, "Do you think you're up for maybe like a VR demonstration at the employee kickoff meeting?" And I said, "Sure, but you're going to have to train me how to do it because." I, I'm not a gamer. I didn't grow up as a gamer. I don't, you know, this stuff doesn't come naturally to me. And so I spent, you know, an hour here, an hour there over the over the course of the summer uh, going into our center for teaching and learning and and the instructional designer brought in his virtual headset and, you know, the the sticks. I'm not even sure what some of it's called, but I Joy learned sticks, how yeah, yeah, I learned how to maneuver in this in this VR space. Uh, and so that was really the the height of the convocation last Monday was just saying, you know, if I'm in my mid fifties, if I can do this, if I can get up in front of hundreds of people and do a VR demonstration to educators and to people who work in higher education, I'm sure some of you are light years ahead of me. You can take this and run with it. But it really was meant to just kind of spawn people's interest in thinking about technology and new ways of delivering new content. Uh, and you know, you brought up something. 
you brought up something, Amy, and not to shift the conversation, but you brought up a word. And this is one of the most important words in higher education. And I really would like to know how you pronounce this. I put up a poll on LinkedIn. It was kind of split. And that word is pedagogy or pedagogy. Right. Is it pedagogical or pedagogical? How do you, I heard you say pedagogy, Amy. Um, Jason, how do you feel about that? Uh, pedagogy. We're from, the, I'm from the South, so. Yeah. All right. And is it pedagogical or pedagogical? I actually think it's the latter, but I would so say pedagogy, but pedagogical. pedagogical. <laughs> this is something that higher ed is never going to be able to write itself with this. So how do you pronounce this word? I, I think it's just a made up word, although all words are made up. I don't know if it actually <laughs> means anything. Um, I, I wanted to uh, go ahead, Jason. ask Amy about this. I mean, you're talking about the VR technology. It, you know, I think we all have the struggle, you know, in dealing with our instructional side and things like that. How do we make it comfortable with being uncomfortable of the, with all the changes? It, it, so much change in teaching and technology, it's uncomfortable. But we got to create an environment that's okay to be yes. comfortable with uncomfortable. Right. And, and that's really where I was that's where my head was even in doing the demonstration because you know i i made it as seamless looking as possible like i wanted to <laughs> present as a, as somewhat of an expert um but i had my instructional designer in the space with me and we dialogued together and you know asked asked questions um to almost debunk this that's not for me mentality that that maybe some people have um, and it's not for everyone, right? And not all programs need to have an AR, VR, or XR space, or or even element to them. But in, in some programs, and at Gateway, we had two of them that I could actually talk about because we have two programs that are using it. Um, so at least those faculty now, other faculty will go to them because I was able to talk about our radiologic technology program and that students can go either to the learning center or the library and they have practice stations where they can put the VR equipment on and practice positioning patients in, a, in an altered space um, for imaging. Amazing. And, yeah, and so it's really cool. And we have, uh, we have a collision and repair program and students have a VR um, set, a station where they can practice painting because this painting a car is super technical and, and a skill like you actually have to gain the the right you know angle of your hand and the the speed at, with, at which you're doing it I've I've tried that as well um and you don't you waste do? any product How'd you I, do I needed more practice <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah I needed I needed more practice for sure but that's what it's all about it's practicing yeah. in a space that's totally forgiving right you're not you're not hurting anyone by putting their arm in an awkward position to, to image them. You're not wasting paint and and messing up someone's car if you don't paint it correctly. Cost effective. Yeah, I it's mean, very cost effective. It's very cost effective and, and it's innovative. And I think our our younger students are almost looking for those kinds of things. Um, but it is it is getting it's socializing it, right? It's it's almost like anything else that's new. It's getting it in the hands of our instructors and our faculty and um, having them practice in a safe space, which at Gateway is our Center for Teaching, Learning and Employee Development. 
Um, so I saw it, I just got a text earlier this morning that the new the new set, the classroom set of VR equipment happened to come in this morning. And so there'll be a message that goes out to our faculty and staff that they can make an appointment to to go there and, and practice it. Love that. Love that. Well, you know, we we'd like to ask the same two questions to every guest to end the episode. Jason, unless you have any last burning questions for Dr. Diaz here. Okay. All right. Number one, what did we not say about Gateway Community College? So you get an open microphone. Anything you want to say, announce your 161st program or your 159th, depending on which way you want to go. Mm -hmm. Anything else, anywhere you're speaking, anything else about Gateway Community College that we should know? Well, so Gateway is positioned in um, a, an industrial corridor. We're right near Sky Harbor Airport. Um, and I think of us as a community college that serves the entire Maricopa County. Um, but we're not a neighborhood. We're not a neighborhood community college, which is typically the story of community colleges. So we pull from every single zip code in the entire Maricopa County District, and I think it's because of the variety of the programs that we offer. Uh, we're the only program. We're, we're the only community college um, to have several different assets, um, including some of our programs. We have the largest makerspace in the Southwest in downtown Phoenix. We have a center for entrepreneurial innovation. We have a second one that's in downtown Phoenix as well. Um, there's just some things that are unique about Gateway um, because of people who have predated me, who have been here and have had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but maybe one of the most unique things about Gateway is that we identify as a college of well-being, and we use uh, use the five C's of positive psychology: career, character, connection, contribution, and of course, I'm forgetting the fifth one. I, they roll off my tongue. I think that's I right. You, say you, you, character, do more character, <laughs> character, career, connection, care, and contribution are the five C's, and we've adopted those as our core values. So those are some things about Gateway. That if listeners didn't know, those are some fun things about. All Gateway. right. Well, you t <laughs> said earlier that you spent some time talking about the future of higher education. Mm -hmm. So my last question for you is what is the future of higher education going to look like? Oh, it's it's such an exciting topic. I you know, there are people who are afraid of that conversation and then there are people who are who are just excited by um the thought of where is where is higher education going? I think there's so many things for us to consider. I think, you know, is the Carnegie unit still a thing? Do we need to be thinking about education in terms of um seat time around a credit hour, uh, where is our um, prior learning assessment and you know where is PLA gonna fit in? That's one of the things that we're really try trying to leverage at Gateway. Um, moving in and between credit, non-credit, clock hour spaces and, and just creating those really seamless experiences for the learner, because quite honestly, I don't think they care what version of a course that they're they're taking as long as it means something for them in the end. Um, so I think this idea of partnering with other institutions and thinking about where we can go together and how we can blurry even geographic lines, um, all of those things are, are very exciting and very interesting to me. And, and with the idea of different institutions offering different levels of uh, degrees. Um, Gateway just launched our first nuclear medicine technology and computed tomography bachelor's degree today. And um, it's it's really exciting for students to be able to get a bachelor's degree at a community college price 
for an area that is such a niche market um, and it has the overhead that it has. So, so I'm excited about the future of education. I'm, a, I'm excited about the future of teaching and learning and the future of work. And one thing that we didn't talk very much about this morning is this idea of what, what is appropriate for physical in-person space and what's appropriate and maybe even necessary for us to think about in a remote or virtual space. And so as we continue to move forward, those things are real things. We, we have to continue to think about our workforce and even our, our ability to consider what the future could be leveraging both in-person and online experiences for learners and employees. You know, I, I believe, I truly believe that if you're not, if you don't have that innovation spirit within you, this is the worst time for you to be in higher education. If you're an innovator within higher ed and you can think outside the box, the, the opportunity for change has never been greater. Yeah. All of our institutions and surrounding memberships, accreditations are much more accepting of things that are going to push the bleeding edge of what the future looks like because the market is demanding it, the employer is demanding it. So if you can think innovatively, uh, it's a heck of a time to be in this industry. One person I know that thinks innovatively is my guest co-host today. Um, he's got, I love the conference room he's built around. I, I love this desk. I got to get this desk. If you could see this Great. desk. Where does this desk, desk come from, Jason? How do I get it? I think uh, at least five of the presidents before me have used this desk. That's why there's four empty chairs. Uh, this, <laughs> this, this desk definitely predates me. Yes, uh, uh, it's, it's one of the coolest desks I've ever seen. Um, and, and I'm going to try to find it online. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest co-host today... He's Jason Morrison, Dr. Jason Morrison. He's president of Trinity Valley Community College. Jason, how, you th what did you think of your first co-hosting gig here on it? Up? I enjoy it. I, I'm excited for Amy and 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 what what she's got planned for Gateway. I mean, I, there's one thing I think is missing to the great part that I felt Amy showed was where's that passion, that drive? You know, you know. You don't always have to be the smartest person in a room, and, and definitely in my case, I'm not I'm not the smartest person in this this room. But if you have a motor that you want to see other people excel and succeed and and grow, if we can, that's the one thing I can just give every up and coming leader that extra drive. You know, do the small things. You know, don't ever think there's something too big for you to do or are capable of doing. Just you know, push yourself because the people around you take notice and and they will feed off the energy that you bring as a leader. And so I, I can definitely tell you Gateway's in good hands. Uh, shouldn't take them two and a half years to figure that out, uh, <laughs> but they're in good hands. And, and I, know, I know Amy's going to be very successful what she does. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, your guest today, she's Dr. Amy Diaz. She is the president of Gateway Community College. The crowd need to settle down now. Amy, how did you feel about the EdUp experience that you've had today? Well, I love it. It's it's a great experience. Um, I've listened to several of the podcasts, and um, I really appreciate what you're doing. It's a it's a fun and innovative way to capture at least a point in time perspective from your guests. Um, it's really interesting. I'm going to go back and listen to some of the very, very beginning ones. I kind of did it in reverse order, but yeah, they're, they're, they're really bad. I'm find the ones at the beginning now. are really terrible. Let's be honest. The, the ones now are way better. The ones at the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. And I you won't be that impressed. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, it's it, they're bad. No, there, there, there's some good stuff in there. There is. Um, and uh, I appreciate you taking a listen, Amy. And, you know, I think this podcast is all about how do we bring the message of higher education at scale and highlight uh, some of our uh, community college presidents, private college presidents, public who don't get the microphone all the time, too. It's hard to get, you know, we, we do see a lot of the same folks put out it's the similar yeah, you've material got some rock stars. bigger school. Right. I mean, that's just kind of the way it works. So how do we give a mic to those that don't have it as often? And I really appreciate you bringing the message of Gateway Community College here. Thank you so much. It's a great experience. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just add up. Oh, yeah. Attention, higher ed marketing and enrollment management professionals. We are taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us at Insights EDU on February 20th to 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona, Gain insight into the latest higher education trends and cutting edge marketing strategies that'll take your institution's enrollment to a whole new level. This is your opportunity to connect with higher education leaders and marketing experts from across the country. Comprehensive presentations, engaging panel discussions, and more. Insights EDU will equip you to position your institution for growth. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Can you afford to miss this conference? I don't think so. Attention. Forbes called commencement the beginning of a new era in higher education, a dispensable touchpoint for what's being said in, about, and around higher education now. Don't miss the insights from 125 college and university presidents about what the future of higher education holds. Pick up your copy of commencement on Amazon today.